It's really my pleasure to introduce Joel Gray to you. Uh, Joel has been with us before in the past when he's been back on furlough here in the States from Africa. Uh, Joel and I became friends in my late 1992, early 1993. Uh, the church I was pastoring down the South Shore was we were looking for a pastoral intern uh, to do work with teenagers as well as to kind of get used to doing ministry. And uh, his father-in-law was a prayer partner of mine. He said, well, maybe you should think about hiring my son-in-law, which made me skeptical to start with. But we, we brought Joel on and got to know him and his wife, Karen. They had concluded, concluded their education at Gordon College and had gone on to Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary. And Joel served alongside me there until, I, until they kind of were sick of me and I left in 1994. And then he took over as the interim pastor for a while and then uh, followed his lead back to Africa. Uh, Joel's parents were missionaries in Mali. Uh, his entire childhood, and he grew up essentially in Africa. And then the Lord led him back to uh, serve in Burkina Faso. It was too cold in Mali, so he moved a little further south into uh, into Burkina Faso. And he's been serving there ever since, and uh, that was in 1997 when they were finally able to, to go back over. And Christina and I had the privilege of being uh, going over and working with him in 2000. In fact, I, I told the first service that we have a much fonder affection for his wife than we do for Joel, uh, wife Karen, because she actually rescued us in the Grand Marche in Ouagadougou, which is the capital of Burkina Faso. They are aggressive salesmen when you when white people walk into the market in uh, in Ouagadougou. There's nothing like it in Rwanda, I tell you what. I mean, you walk in there, they're sticking stuff in your pockets and trying to take money out of your socks. It's just really, in, and Karen just came to our rescue like the Lone Ranger, just right through there and took us right out and uh so and uh but since being in africa he joel and his wife karen have had four children uh, daniel is will be a senior in high school next year so they're doing some college shopping this summer in addition to joel taking some classes to work on his demin degree and so this was the only sunday he had available that he could come speak to us so we said we'll take it so joel thanks for being with us share what's on your heart with us let me get a chance just to pray with you for just a minute all right God, thanks for this good friend. I thank you for his faithfulness, just for the, the ways that you, we've seen him grow. We've seen his family grow. Uh, God, the ways that you've used him in Burkina, and now that you're starting to use him uh, in that whole area of sub-Sahara, West Africa. God, thanks for the blessing of having him with us today. We pray that as he shares with us, our, our, our hearts would be open to the things that you have to say. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Joel. Right, God bless thank you. Good morning. I'm very happy to be with you today. Uh, your church supports us, and uh, it's exciting. You don't see us very often, but uh, every two or three years or four years, we come back and uh, have the privilege of spending a Sunday with you and sharing a little bit um, of what God's doing in um, our part of the world. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for praying for us. Uh, some of you might get our little newsletter that comes uh, by uh, email, and if you'd like to receive that, you can uh, talk to Pastor Neil, and we can get you signed up or talk to me afterwards. I'm going to try to do two things today, and it worked in the first service, so hopefully it'll work again in the second service, but I'm going to try, uh, in the time that we have left, to give you maybe a 10 or 15 minute introduction to uh, what God's doing in Burkina Faso, and uh, then in the second, maybe 10 or 15 minutes, uh, look a little bit at God's Word, and we're going to be having a sermon that comes from Philippians chapter 4. So we're going to be trying to do two things uh, with the time we have. This is the missionary team that we have working in Burkina. 
Uh, we usually have somewhere between 45 and 50 adults on the field at any given time that would be considered long-term career missionaries. And then we often have 10 or 12 or 15 short-termers that come, uh, often gap year students that have finished high school uh, and they want to come spend a year in Africa. And um, so at any given time, our team's always changing. There's always people coming and going. But we usually have somewhere between 45 and 60 people at any given time. And um, this group comes from many different countries, um, Germany and New Zealand and uh, Ireland and Scotland and Canada and all over. And more and more, we're having Africans join our team. There's not any in that picture, but we've had two or three join uh, during this past year, being sent from other African countries to come to Burkina uh, as missionaries. And so it's kind of diverse now. Sometimes we'll have eight or nine countries on our team, um, and it's becoming increasingly more diverse. Um, is Ubeli there? We have Ubeli kind of in the middle. The dark-skinned girl is from Colombia. Um, so we're getting south. We have Brazilians coming to join our team. So it's quite exciting to see what God's doing in the world. Um, God is calling his whole church all over the world to become involved in missions. And our team is becoming uh, increasingly diverse and complex. And, of course, the uh, opportunities for conflict and, and communication issues also become much more difficult as your team becomes more complex. The mission, uh, our vision statement uh, in Burkina is to glorify God by planting and strengthening and partnering with churches around the world as we, and these are the four verbs that are directive for our work in Burkina as we evangelize the unreached, as we minister to human need, as we disciple believers into churches and equip churches to fulfill Christ's commission. This is what we're all about. You'll see it's general enough that uh, almost any kind of kingdom-building activity uh, can work. Uh, one of the beauties of this organization is most of the decisions are made at the field level. And we have very few times do we have, are we being told what to do from some faraway office. We get to handle most of the issues on the ground. And it's quite exciting to be involved. This is a map of Africa, at least the northern part of Africa. And you see there uh, Burkina Faso is highlighted. Our field is also responsible for our mission team in Mali, which is right now very small. You might have heard of the conflict that's been raging in Mali this last year or so as Islamic terrorists have taken over the country. And then an international force led by France kind of took back over control of the country. And um, we're kind of nervous because as the French military swept through the country, many of those terrorist groups fled. And we're just waiting to see where they're going to resurface. Will they resurface in Mali, uh, in Burkina, and Niger? We already know they resurfaced in Mauritania and in Algeria. There were some problems a few months ago, you might have heard. And so it's quite an unstable part of, of Africa right now. And that has a lot of impact on my work as the director of the mission for that part of Africa because many people uh, working among unreached people groups, most of the unreached people groups in that part of Africa are Muslim groups. And several of our missionaries have had to move because we have kidnapping threats. We've uh, had all kinds of issues of that nature. And sometimes our missionaries are dying to go back to places that are unsafe. And they have families and they have kids and they come to my office and they're crying. And when can I go back to the place where God's led me? And we have to think holistically and think about the family and think about the needs. And I've found myself several times with a crying person in front of me just wanting to go back to ministry, which is something that's admirable 
because they've started working with people and have started seeing change in their lives and now because of the situation have been removed. And one of the things God's given me is you're sending church that sent you here. If they knew the dangerous situation where you are, would they send you back? And that God's given me that, I feel. And several times it's as though a light bulb has clicked in someone's head and they said, yeah, they probably wouldn't want me back there. And so I said, well, let's work in partnership with your sending church because we'd hate for you to get kidnapped or something uh, awful happened to you. Many Westerners have been kidnapped, um, just in Niger alone. Uh, many have been kidnapped in northern Cameroon and in Mali. And we've had some kidnap threats from people on our team uh, working in northern Burkina. So we need prayer. Uh, elections in Mali are going to be held uh, July 28. Uh, that's crucial for the future of our field. Burkina Faso has about 16 million people. A little over half of them are Muslim, but there is a growing church uh, in Burkina, and we're very thankful for that. Mali is mostly Muslim, so is Mauritania, so is Niger, uh, Guinea, um, Chad, the other countries near us. Uh, the churches that have resulted from SIM's work, we almost have 600 local churches now, close to 50,000 uh, attending, and that denomination has also sent 12 missionary couples. So we're excited and thrilled to see them begin sending their own missionaries. I'm going to, for the sake of time, go quickly. Uh, you saw earlier that our vision statement had four verbs that thrust us forward, and one of them is evangelize, and most of our missionaries are involved in evangelism of one kind or another. One of the things that has borne lots of fruit the last few years is doing English classes. And we'll often have 300 or 350 um, Africans in Ouagadougou, the capital city, sign up for English classes. We have 12-week programs. We can only take about 150 of them. So we have these growing waiting lists of people that can't get in. And, of course, it's all set up. It's to help them learn English, but through God's Word. And uh, it's all designed to help lead people to faith in Christ. And it's exciting to see. It's something that people can come and uh, come and sign up for 12 weeks, not even knowing French, and come and get involved in teaching English and sometimes uh, even get to lead Muslims to Christ. So it's a very exciting ministry. Um, we do lots of kids' work. We have a whole team of people in Burkina that work through kids' clubs, that work through vacation Bible schools, and uh, literally thousands of kids um, all across Burkina have been introduced to the gospel through our children's ministry. And then we also work with unreached people groups. The largest one that we're involved in um, is the Fulani people in Burkina. And SIM missionaries have been working with the Fulani for about 30 years. And um, to this day, there are probably less than 200 Fulani believers out of a people group of 2 million uh, in Burkina. Only uh, less than 200 have really come to Christ. So it's really tough going. It's not easy. Uh, missionary families can come and spend 15, 20 years and maybe have led three, four, or five people to the Lord at the end of that. So it's really tough going, and it's easy to get discouraged um, and wonder, where is God in this? How come things aren't happening more quickly? But that's why they're unreached. They're not unreached for some vague general idea. It's because Satan has a hold of their whole culture and their whole worldview. Um, a lot of the work we do is also ministering to human need, and that involves two hospitals and lots of eye surgeries, um, these were just clinics a few years ago, but through lots of support raising and doctors coming to join the team, um, the countries recognize both of these clinics as uh, hospitals now, and uh, many people are treated for many different uh, things each year. We also have um, several malnutrition centers, and hundreds of little kids are brought 
uh, each month that are uh, not doing well. And um, we have uh, people there working uh, to nurse them back to health, which is a very complex situation because the mothers need to learn how to find things in their environment to add to the food that they're giving their babies so that their babies can grow strong and make a comeback. One of the challenges with our medical work is people often don't come until it's too late. They've tried everything else. They've tried traditional methods. They've tried occultic methods to help their children get better. And when they're almost gone, then they come to the hospital. And so oftentimes, you're working in a situation, had the child been brought a week ago, it would be a lot easier uh, to help the child. So those are real challenges. And many babies are born uh, each month in our clinics. One of the exciting things that uh, has happened the last five or six years is this ministry that's developed called Friends in Action. And uh, it's a drill, well-drilling um, well ministry. Uh, Burkina is on the southern edge of the Sahara Desert. There's not a lot of water. Many of the diseases that people have are waterborne diseases. And so if you don't have good drinking water, uh, it affects your family, it affects your health, it affects your whole community. And so we have a, a team that, uh, that travels around the northern part of Burkina and puts in wells in villages where there isn't clean water. There's an evangelism team that goes with them. Uh, while the big machines come out and these big muscular men are drilling uh, in the ground, there's something for the kids going on, there's something for the teens, and there are people there talking to the adults. People will flock to see all the machines in action. This is very exciting uh, in rural places, and it's a chance to touch people with the gospel. And many times, little local churches are left behind when the drill machine moves on somewhere else. And then we have a handicap center uh, about seven hours out of Ouagadougou uh, that has over 40 employees and has treated over 1,600 uh, handicapped people that are handicapped in different ways. And this is a French woman who's been in Burkina almost 30 years. She had the vision for this. She came to do evangelism. And in the village where she was working, she was noticing handicaps of many, many kinds. And the Lord put on her heart to start this ministry. It's grown. It's huge. And um, it's just exciting to see um, all that's happening. Um, I can't even begin to tell you all the different things that happen. Messiah College in Pennsylvania has a partnership with this ministry. And um, students in the engineering department... Um, in the education department, uh, people learning to be nurses will come. We'll often have 25 or 30 students every year from Messiah College come to do projects in Burkina, and most of them end up at the Handicap Center uh, working in one way or another. Um, one of the exciting things is when people go through the program and then handicapped people get taken on by the project, and then handicapped people who have come to Christ and who have been helped with their handicap now begin ministering to the new people to come in. That's exciting. Uh, God can use all of us, no matter who we are and the physical challenges we might uh, be living with. There is, um, we, we teach Braille. We have the Bible in Braille, and uh, we have a school for the blind and a school for the deaf that's grown out of the handicap uh, center. Um, one of the exciting things, the thing that I was involved with until my recent appointment as area director has been helping African churches gain a vision for mission. And uh, for a couple of years, I traveled around in West Africa, in Francophone Africa, and taught the Perspectives course. If any of you are familiar with that, it opens people's eyes to the importance of world mission. And out of that, uh, the institute grew. And we now have our own property. This is just about the last two years. We've been developing our own campus and uh, lots of buildings. 
And the red dots on the map represent the countries where students have come from to come to our training. So it was weird how God, you know, God is often at work in ways that we don't know. And we started this training, and before we knew it, applications were coming from all parts of Francophone Africa. We weren't really equipped for how God was going to work. We don't get lots of students. We'll often have 10 or 12 a year. But they might represent seven or eight different countries, and they come with their own cultures and their own needs and their own challenges. And then our prayer is that while they're there in the training, that God would put in their hearts uh, a vision for starting a mission program in their country. Uh, And so it's exciting to see um, the impact that it's had. Uh, This is a group. This was the third group. This was back in like 2006 or something like that. You'll see it's a small group, um, but they come from several different countries. And uh, it's been a joy. I get to spend a lot of time with a few people. If you've ever read The Master Plan of Evangelism, it's an awesome, awesome book. If you haven't read it, you should. But God's given me a, a wonderful ministry where I can spend a lot of time with a few people. All right. Uh, I'm not going to get into too much of this. We do a lot of uh, training on the ground, and we go to places. This is a town in Mali. It's about 11,000 people. Uh, and everyone in the town is Muslim, except for the missionary that's working underground, that's a graduate of the IMS that's there working. This is a famous mosque in the world. They say it's the largest mud mosque on earth. And uh, this town has 44 Islamic schools. And children come from many different countries in West Africa to learn the Quran. The goal is to memorize the Quran, and it takes them about 10 years to do so. Uh, by the way, these Islamic schools are also breeding grounds for Islamic terrorism. This is uh, an example of a school. Often they don't have buildings. They'll just meet in the teacher's yard, and they'll spend a good part of the morning. Ah, there's a picture. I don't know if we can point to it. But between those two boys in the front, you'll see a little wooden slate with some writing on it in Arabic. Each boy has a wooden slate. It looks like half of the way we depict the Ten Commandments. It's kind of rounded at the top. And they'll write out a few verses, uh, surats, every day, and they have to memorize that. And that's part of their training. They do a couple verses a day, and the goal is to help them learn the whole Quran, which is a little bit shorter than the New Testament um, by the time they graduate. So here are some prayer requests uh, for us. My biggest request right now... um, as of a few months ago, I became the area director for Burkina and Mali. But for the last 10 or 12 years, I've been developing the missionary training school. And so I've moved. I'm in mourning because the place I love to work with those small groups of students is now I've moved out of that. And my heart is still there. I'm going through a mourning process. So if I start crying uh, in the middle of this, that's what that's all about. But pray that God brings the right person to carry on that ministry. Um, we've been looking. Uh, we interviewed five people, five different African leaders, and we chose two of them and sent them to the board. The school has a board, and the board didn't hire either one. Uh, And the board was actually being a responsible board. They asked a lot of tough questions, but I need them to hire someone soon because I'm going to burn out if I try to run the missionary training school and be the area director at the same time. So please pray that God brings the right person to lead that school, and then I'll be freed up to wholeheartedly embrace my new job. It's been a little hard going up till now, but pray that the Lord helps us. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. There is a handout also, an outline that looks like this that's in your bulletin. And I'd invite you to open that up. One of the things that happened uh, for me the, the last six or seven years 
um, has been the Lord has opened the doors for me to teach in many different countries. And there are some Christian universities in Africa and some seminaries. And it was just weird. I was getting invitations to teach this course or that course. And I had to limit. I'm only going to do three of these a year. But in the last, I don't know, seven or eight years, the Lord brought me to about 20 different African countries teaching in the university system. And it would be amazing or, 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 or scary. You would teach in the day, like uh, social science research methods or that type of course, or cross-cultural conflict resolution, those type of courses, to Christian leaders going to universities um, in you know, West Africa or East Africa. And after the course, I'd go back to my guest house room and people would start coming students that had had the course during the day. And uh, sometimes I, I would hear problem after problem after problem. And it made me have a heavy heart that Christian leaders all around the world are facing serious conflict and are often not equipped with the inner strength from God and a changed life on the inside to be able to radiate joy and hope and peace in a time of conflict. It also made me sad that even uh, all around the world, I think Satan takes advantage of little things and causes big problems. And when those problems emerge, and as God's children are not equipped to deal with them, uh, the problems can sabotage God's work. And the enemy loves this type of thing. So all across Africa, little problems are becoming big problems. And God's workers are paralyzed, and God's work is suffering. And I want us to look at this idea of conflict, and I want to turn it on its head, and I want to propose to you that every time we are in a conflict, it's actually an opportunity for growth. It's actually an opportunity for victory. But it depends largely on our perspective of that conflict and our capacity to face it with grace and to face it with hope. And I want to, to look at it that way. Now, I know this church is perfect and we don't have conflict, we don't have problems, and we all get along fabulously. But in the real world, where you have people working together, you will often have conflict. Now, I think this is especially true uh, in Christian work because we bring our own natural inclinations towards problems. And then I think, of course, we're involved in spiritual warfare. And so there's an added element. There are spiritual forces that want to see us implode. There are spiritual forces that would love to see this church bogged in conflict with lots of problems so that our capacity to reach the world around us would be diminished. Satan loves that type of thing. And so the reality is where people are working together, they will inevitably face conflict. But can we have the perspective of that conflict making it an opportunity for growth, an opportunity for victory? And that's what I'd like to look at today. Now, Paul is writing in Philippians to a church that has conflict, and the conflict is named. And if you look in chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he actually calls out two women who have contended by his side for the sake of the gospel, but who are not agreeing with each other. Now, Paul doesn't tell us what the nature of the conflict is. And Paul doesn't seem to be interested in assigning blame, but he notes it. He calls it out. He says there's conflict in the church. These two women are godly women. They are uh, believers. They are my fellow workers. They're doing kingdom work. 
but they're not agreeing with each other. And it apparently is becoming a problem, so much so that Paul addresses it in the letter. And resulting from that conflict, here's a, here's a great thing. Because that conflict is there, we have some of the, the best, well, all of it's God's word, right? But some of the most encouraging verses that perhaps Paul penned for those of us who go through difficulties. If you look in your handout, I have the text on the left-hand side. And to give us the whole context, I started with verse 1. And that's where he describes the conflict in the church at Philippi. And then he comes down to verse 4. Look at verse 4. I'll read that, the second half of that passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. You can just look down and see that I put in bold that each of those second paragraphs ends with a promise of peace. God is working in the lives of the Philippian believers, regardless of the conflict that the church is going through. God's hope, God's design is to fill them with peace. There's conflict, but God wants to work peace. And that's why both verse 7 and the second half of verse 9 refer to that peace that God wants to give them. Um, I'm going to throw this out there and just see what you think. Um, Character is often grown in community, but tempted in isolation. Character, just tell me what you think. Do you think that's true? Uh, Character is often grown in community. In other words, God places you in a community of believers that have different gifts than you do. We all have spiritual gifts when we come to Christ. The point of using our spiritual gifts is to glorify God and to edify the believers around us. So when God puts us in a community of believers, it's for our growth, it's for our good, and our character is often developed in community. But that character is often tested when we're in isolation. Uh, That uh, who we are when no one is looking says a lot about what our character is. Uh, Remember the David story. The time of year when kings are normally at war. David's at home alone. And David gets into trouble. And I think this community aspect of the Christian life is very important. It's in that community that my character is formed. Well, how does God shape my character? Through spiritual gifts, but sometimes through conflict. Sometimes through struggles that I face as I go through conflict with that community God has given me. And so here we have this community in Philippi. God is building up the character of the believers of Philippi, but there's also conflict. God wants that conflict to become an opportunity for growth for them and not have it sabotage their witness and their growth. And so so Paul, knowing God's will for this group in conflict, will speak into that conflict, and he's essentially saying, don't let that conflict sabotage your life and growth. See that conflict as an opportunity to grow, as an opportunity to confront the things that come out of your life. When we're in conflict, it's the ugly stuff in our heart that comes out. When someone's angry at you, uh, how we respond 
It's from the overflow of our heart that the mouth speaks. It's what we have inside us that often comes out. We wear masks, and we can fake it for a time, and we can be pleasant people, we can be friendly people, and a lot of us wear masks a lot of our lives, and we haven't really dealt with the emotional scars we have in our lives. And uh, something happens, and ugliness starts to come out, and you think, where did that come from? Guess what? It's been in there a long time. And the person in public wears a mask, and, uh, but inside there's stuff that's unresolved. And given an opportunity, that stuff is going to come out. And so how do you see this? Paul is trying to help the church to take that, oppor- you know, take that conflict and have it be an opportunity for growth. When a conflict happens and my true self shows itself, I have a warning. I have an opportunity. I have an invitation by God to own that part of my life that isn't yet transformed and to bring it to him. A lot of times people have mess in their lives. They have a, a root of bitterness. They have a problem of some kind, and they're hardly aware of it. And it's when we're in conflict that this stuff comes out. It's in community that God allows this to happen. Now look at verse 4. God tells them, if you want to change your conflict and have it become an opportunity for growth, here are some things that are going to help you do that. Here's a prescription for you to be demonstrating peace in a time of war. And the first thing is, Paul says, Christians should be rejoicing. A mark of the Christian life is to be joyful. Now, that doesn't mean that we are preaching health and wealth and that everything is going to go fabulously for us because we're often going to be in conflict. We're often going to be tested. We're often going to have trials. But Paul says a mark of the Christian life should be joy. We should be rejoicing. Not because our outward circumstances are always perfect. It's because God is at work in our life and God has changed us and we're focusing on God and not the problems. And as we focus on God and as he works in our inner life to help us heal from the pains of our past, as we're transformed, as we're growing, as we're maturing in Christ, he enables us to be joyful even when we, don't, we wouldn't naturally be joyful. That's why joy is part of the fruit of the Spirit. Peace is part of the fruit of the Spirit. That's what God is doing in our lives. I think that one of the main themes of Scripture could be highlighted here. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to help us become like the Son of God. And in some ways, that kind of summarizes the Christian life. The Spirit of God wants to use the Word of God in you and in me to help us become more like the Son of God. So the first thing, Paul is saying, hey, look, church in Philippi, you should be growing. You you should be like Christ at some level. You should be striving to become more like Christ. You should be attached to the vine. And I know there's conflict in your midst, but don't let that conflict overwhelm you. Let it be an opportunity for your joy to show. Let it be an opportunity for you to rejoice in the Lord, not because you're naive, not because you're closing your eyes to the conflict, but because you're aware of the conflict, but you're even more aware of the Lord who's changing you and helping you to be that, the person that you can't be by yourself. Now, the second thing in verse 5, Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all. What do we quickly forget when we're in conflict? It's to be gentle. It's to be kind. It's to be loving. And that's also fruit of the Spirit that God wants in our lives, especially when we're in conflict. Let your gentleness be evident to all. It's there because my spirit's there. It's in your life. It's what I want to bring out of you when you're in trouble. It's what I want to bring out of you when things aren't going well. It's gentleness. You're Christians. We're becoming like Christ. 
if someone yells at me and I yell back, something's wrong. If someone does me a bad turn and I turn around and stab them in the back, something's wrong. We should be filled with grace. We should be filled with love and joy and peace. Kindness and gentleness should be the marks of our character. That's what we should have. If someone is gossiping about me and I turn around and gossip about them, I've descended into an ugly battleground and I'm not demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. Somehow the, the Spirit isn't active and free in my life to bring out of my heart that which I can't produce by myself. Rejoice, says Paul. We should, be, we should be filled with joy. Joy comes from God, not from our outward circumstances. Demonstrate gentleness. Even when the church is a mess and people are fighting, demonstrate gentleness. You're Christians. You are like Christ. You are loving your enemy. You are praying for those people that are gossiping about you. You are not descending to their level in a messy, ugly way. You're demonstrating love and joy and peace. And then in verse 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. That everything would include conflict. It would include difficulties that were in the trials that God allows us to go through. Do not be anxious about those things, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. See? We're people who pray. We should be. We're people that come to God. We're people that don't let anxiety overwhelm us because anxiety is not going to help. Anxiety is not going to change tomorrow. Anxiety is going to rob me today of my strength. I think it's Rick Warren who says it in The Purpose Driven Life that when you realize in your life that you tend to be anxious and worry, those are opportunities to pray. The more we're anxious, those are things that that we're worried about. Those are things that are crippling us from being an emotionally healthy person today. I'm worried. I'm preoccupied. I don't trust God for the future. I'm only focusing on the negative. Everything's going to go wrong. And somehow I allow myself to get overtaken by that, and I'm crippled by worry. And I think the answer is to pray. We should be people who pray more and worry less. And, and God wants us to be like that. That's what Paul's saying here. Be filled with joy. That joy comes from God. Attach yourself to God. Focus on God. Allow him to work in your inner life. Release those things that are keeping you from being joyful. That bitterness, that anger, whatever is there, release it to God. Hold it with an open hand and invite God to take it away and say, God, I'm an angry person and I don't want to be. Fill me with joy. Fill me with joy. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Everyone's angry. Everyone's yelling. People are angry and gossiping. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be gentle. I'm going to be kind. I'm going to be loving because I want to be like Jesus. That's what I signed up for. That's what Jesus wants me to do. I signed up to be transformed by the love of God. I'm not going to descend to that level and be nasty like the other people around me. I'm going to be gentle. It's not even coming from me. It's coming from God because it's his spirit working in me, helping me be gentle even when part of me wants to be angry or mad. So we pray continuously. And we ask God to help us not worry. I think that's what God wants for us. That's what God wants in me. And that's what God wants in you. God wants transformed people. He doesn't want us just to come uh, to church on Sunday and help at VBS. That's great stuff. Our churches have programs. Let's get involved. But even more than that, God wants to change our lives. God wants to transform our hearts. 
God is concerned about our inner life. Flip over to the, the back page. And I've, I've entitled this, As We Encounter God This Week. I would invite you to take this home, stick it in your Bible, maybe during a quiet time later in the week. Pull this out again and read through these one, two, three, and four points here at the end. They're kind of trying to encourage you to think about how this might apply in your life. As Christians, we must pay particular attention to what is going on inside of us. Think about Jesus and the Pharisees. That little sentence there, that basically summarizes everything Jesus was telling to the Pharisees. Our attitudes, our motivations, our intentions, and our desires are a true test of how much we have allowed God to change us. We are so good at focusing on what's going on out there, but the deep interior work of God in transforming our soul is what needs to happen about, above everything else. Evaluate your thought life. You know, how you feel is directly related into how you think. If you think lustful thoughts long enough, it'll change your heart, and you'll start acting out in inappropriate ways. If you think angry or negative thoughts about someone else, it affects your heart. The way we think affects the way we feel, and the way we feel affects what we do. So if you are filled with anger about somebody, that's going to affect your attitude. It's going to affect your motivation. It's going to affect the way you speak to that person. It's going to cripple you. And when conflict arises, joy and peace and gentleness will not be evident to all, but anger and bitterness will. God wants to change your life. Oftentimes, it starts with how we think. What are you thinking about? See how this passage, it goes on. After he tells us to rejoice and to be gentle and to pray, look at verse 8. He tells us what to think about. Paul is telling us the way we think affects how we feel. And how we feel affects what we do. And that's why he says, look, you want to be successful? Do you want to be maturing Christians that are peaceful? I'll tell you how to do it. It starts with how you think, he says. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. That's what we fill our minds with. That's what we think about. Maybe as Christians we appear naive. And we appear simple. And we appear like we're loving people that believe the best. But I'd rather do that than follow the world's pattern of being filled with anger and bitterness and lust and greed. Look at number three. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows. What's going to happen tomorrow will still happen whether you worry about it or not. It empties today of its strength. Worry does not allow us to escape evil It renders us unfit to cope with evil when it does attack. And this is a challenge for all of you during the week. Find half an hour. Find half an hour and be alone with God. Sit quietly and focus on God. Ask him to direct your thoughts. Ask him to show you what steals your peace. What outer distraction robs your joy? Do you have inner chaos that's crippling your capacity? to internalize God's word. Ask God to show you what must change in your life for you to experience God's peace. The truth is we're all different. We've had different pasts, and we have different futures, and we have different personalities. But Satan works in all of our lives to distract us from God's plan. But what's going on in your life? What's robbing you of your joy? What part of your life needs to change? 
What part of your heart still needs to be transformed by God? You know what Paul's telling us in this passage? He's telling us that God has a plan for our lives. And it's a plan filled with, with hope, with peace, and with joy. But we're never going to have that kind of a life unless we allow the Spirit to do a deep work in our hearts and in our lives. And the witness of all of Scripture would tell us that the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to make us more like the Son of God. That's what God wants to do in my life. And I bet that's what he wants to do in your life too. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for a conflict in the church long ago. We thank you that you allowed it to happen because it provides us an opportunity to grow. I pray for each person in this room. Lord, you know the details of our lives and the challenges we're faced with. Help us be people that are filled with love and hope and joy. Change the parts of us that need to be changed. Lord, without you, we can do nothing. We thank you for your love and for your faithfulness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.